Good afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tavenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today, we take a trip south to check out the Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival, back this summer after a COVID-enforced hiatus in 2020. Artistic director Timothy Christie fills us in on the festival's offerings, and we'll hear a bit of music from an earlier season. Dan Webster is by to offer his take on a new pandemic-inspired film, and we'll have more music in and out from our studio courtesy of pianists Archie Chen and Rona Gouldson Chen. That's all ahead on Northwest Arts Review. For a number of years, we here at Spokane Public Radio have followed the progress of the Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival, a unique inland Northwest event. Founder and artistic director Timothy Christie has shepherded the growth of the festival, which typically offers a full month of musical experiences ranging from formal concerts to evenings centered on specific festival musicians, to sessions that go in-depth on a single piece of music, dissecting and examining it, then performing the entire piece with a new level of audience awareness. Also, the festival offers open rehearsals and free performances in public spaces. All this, plus a range of venues, are key to the festival's identity. That's what is typical. But we are not in typical times. So, like everything else now, the Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival adapts. Here's my conversation with Timothy Christie, punctuated by sections of the string quintet in one movement by a composer popular at the turn of the 20th century, Charles Martin Leffler. Normally uh, presenting about 32 public events during 24 days out of the month of June. And with lingering uncertainty about what would be safe 
for one thing, but also what the statewide or local restrictions might be on gathering in this way. We weren't able to plan with confidence for anything approaching that full 32 event season. But we settled on six evening performances that are like festival series programs, but blended with the ambiance, at least, of the Tasting Music and Portrait of an Artist series, which tend to take place in area wineries, capitalizing on the beautiful scenery in Walla Walla, but also much of the general public's affection for the wine industry in the area. So these six evening performances are going to track kind of a story or a theme. And I think the first one is the most self-explanatory and really encapsulates the difference between this season and all previous seasons. So that program is titled 522 Days. And that is the number of days since our last public performance. Mm. And that took place in January of 2020, because we also have a winter festival that's smaller in its proportions, but an important element in our annual cycle. So 522 days will have passed since we played music for our community in person. So I I wanted that program to really have a celebratory quality. It will begin, as is our tradition, with a world premiere, a piece that we commissioned by composer Kenji Bunch, who resides in Portland, Oregon. And it's uh, three violin duos. We'll follow with a very charming character piece by composer Charles Leffler called the String Quintet in One Movement. It has a very narrative quality at times brushes up against a kind of impressionist aesthetic, but also sort of high romantic. And then we conclude with Brahms' string quintet in G, Opus 111, which is a piece that from its energetic opening is just full contact chamber music and ends appropriately with a wild drive to the finish. So Mm -hmm. I I think that program will unleash some of the pent-up creative energy and enthusiasm, uh, both for the performers on stage and the audience in attendance. And I, I expect it to be quite an emotional experience. And that opening performance will be Tuesday evening, June 22nd, at the Foundry Vineyards in Walla Walla. I know that for a while, the hybrid approach was something that was being practiced fairly extensively, where audiences were very limited, so you got as many people as you could in the hall, but then also you offered a a virtual attendance. Is that part of the picture of this season or no? It's not. Um, the, The main reason for not offering a virtual element is that the bandwidth needed for clear transmission uh, via the internet. That's the most important thing. And as, as we are preserving the spirit of a kind of nomadic approach to chamber music, I think 
in again the normal season, one of the nicest features is that we don't continually ask the public to come to one place, but rather we go out to as many places as we can. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, in a normal season, as many as 25 different venue partners, as varied as the VA hospital in Walla Walla, the uh, Walla Walla Regional Airport, and of course, the Powerhouse Theater and, and a dozen or so wineries. So we are moving around. And with that, internet demands are just too much of a challenge. So we're not going to live stream anything. Mm -hmm. And the performances are uh, largely outdoors. We've had to get creative to provide the musicians with a stable enough environment to be safe from excessive heat, the off chance of rain, high wind, all of those things. And we'll actually be using for the first time a bit of sonic reinforcement, meaning since the audience is largely outside, we will use technology to sort of amplify a little bit the sound of the, mm -hmm. the ensemble. So people can, can stay out in the fresh air and have reasonable distance between the seats. Christy and I talked about the five performances on this year's docket. Let's sample two of them now, beginning at the end. The final concert includes a perennial favorite. The final program, with the title To Bow and to Bend, which is a fairly transparent reference to one of the pieces on the program, but is there another level of meaning to the title? Yeah, I think that in... Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring, he offers through the, uh, what I'll call machinery of the piece, how it's built, how it unfolds in a somewhat episodic nature, a vision of unity. In the story behind the ballet, which was commissioned by the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and was a collaboration between choreographer Martha Graham and Aaron Copeland. It's the story of a young couple who are married and beginning their journey in the world. And they are surrounded and supported by their community uh, in a sort of Americana episode of a barn raising. So this community pulls together, builds something together, and then supports the, the younger generation as they move forward. And the line, of course, in the melody, Simple Gifts, which Copeland brings in the latter portion of the piece, to the gift to be simple, 
tis a gift to be free, tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, we'll be in the valley of love and delight. Um, moves on and says, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. And I think as I look at the arc of these five programs, the idea is that we've invited conversation and tried to meet current topics head on in a way that is both inclusive and invites further thought. And then in what I consider to be an expression of unity, saying to bow and to bend, to move, to shift, to let our perspectives as a larger group change is not something about which anyone needs to be ashamed. To let your position evolve and grow is affirming and creative and uh, participatory. That's what it comes down to. And there is no shame in changing together. And I think lest I uh, encroach on pontification here, it also leaves enough room to bow and to bend could just be a reference to ballet, wherein there's a great deal of of bending. And uh, certainly in the old formal sort of high ballet, plenty of bowing (laughs) as well in Mm -hmm. terms of courtly gestures. So I think there's room in there for many different kinds of takeaway. But it's also a large format work. It's for 13 musicians. It brings in woodwinds in the form of clarinet, flute, bassoon, and gives me an opportunity to explore a first half that is a little more of a juggernaut. And I'm going to say, Jim, that I won't go into any detail about that first half because I want it to basically be a big surprise. We will honor that request most certainly. You're hearing my conversation with Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival Artistic Director Timothy Christie. This is Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio. The second Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival event this year is called Full Portrait of an Artist, taking off on the name of one of the festival's go-to formats. This one, however, is especially personal for Tim Christie. This is a great pleasure to talk about. Andrew Jennings was my violin professor in my undergraduate degree, and he has come and played at the Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival for a number of years now, maybe since 2012 or maybe 2013. And he's just been an extraordinary 
presence personally in, in my life, but also as a member of the Concord String Quartet. He continues to teach at Tanglewood uh, in Western Massachusetts during the summertime, and really an incredible treasure in the chamber music world, having had a hand in so many world premieres and supporting the careers of his contemporaries, composers, throughout the arc of the Concord String Quartet's existence, while also doing something like 32 Beethoven cycles during that time. And so I wanted to honor my teacher, but also share with the audience what that relationship means, because all of us as musicians have at least one relationship like that. I don't necessarily think it always has a counterpoint in other fields. This is something very special to music. That's not to say that there aren't mentor-mentee relationships, because of course there are. But this is so highly personal, and it's an intersection of sort of psychology, athleticism, and scholarship, and getting those broad categories to become somehow synthesized in a musician who has a voice. That's why I chose to call the program, in a slight nuance, Full Portrait of an Artist. And we will hear my teacher's uh, exquisite playing on the first half, collaborating with uh, his wife and collaborator of many, many years, Gail Jennings. And then I will have the honor and, well, terrifying responsibility of following that up, also playing with Gail Jennings uh, on the second half. And, and I've chosen a couple of works that I studied with Andy back when I was 19 or 20 years old. So I, I'm hoping that for the audience, there's a real view into this connection between uh, teacher and student. And the other component, of course, is there's a little bit of an interview aspect and I will ask questions of Andy on the first half, and then he will ask questions of me on the second half. You know, it's so exciting. It's also so nerve-wracking. That's why I was sort of saying, ooh, I thought I was going to get away scot-free without having to uh, address. <laughs> but there is an element of this, okay, now stand and deliver in a context that's different than, say, a, a normal recital. So I think it's a unique way of exploring how teachers and students respond to one another and, and share this really beautiful aspect, often untapped in classical music. For complete information about the Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival, check their website, www.cmf.org.
Bo Burnham Inside is a filmmaker's personal look at the funny and unfunny sides of his pandemic experience, says Dan Webster in this review. Over the past couple of years, one term regularly comes up in a couple of the social groups that deign to have me as a member. It's a tenant that most of us have a hard time defining. You may be familiar with it. It's called postmodernism. As someone who earned a lowly C grade in the only philosophy course that he took as a college freshman, I'm clearly no expert. So let me quote the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It defines postmodernists as those who gained prominence in the 1980s and 90s by adopting, quote, a radical reappraisal of modern assumptions about culture, identity, history, or language, unquote. Chief among those reappraisals, in terms of popular entertainment anyway, are persistent skepticism and, in particular, an emphasis on irony. From that shallow standpoint, at least, it's easy to understand the work of Bo Burnham. Having earned fame as a teenager by posting videos on YouTube, Burnham showed a talent for songwriting, acerbic commentary, and self-referential, typically self-deprecating humor. As a measure of just how talented he is, as of last March, Burnham's videos reportedly had attracted some 300 million views. When he was just 18, Burnham, who is now 30, became the youngest performer to tape a half-hour Comedy Central special. In addition to writing and directing the critically acclaimed 2018 feature Eighth Grade, and then starring alongside Carey Mulligan in last year's feature Promising Young Woman, Burnham has released three more comedy specials, the latest being the 87-minute Netflix special, Bo Burnham Inside, which debuted on May 30th. It is that latest special that made me consider again the concept of postmodernism, at least in its most simplistic terms. Because while the topics that Burnham addresses are mostly serious, the overall message being a commentary on the dark, the emotionally charged feelings caused by the COVID-19 lockdown, the tone of Burnham's work is never far from laugh-out funny. Thus, we see him at work over the course of a year, struggling to create the special, alone in his studio, the only obvious markers that time has passed being his lengthening hair and progressively scraggly beard. Oh, and his continual comments about how concerned he is that he may never be able to finish, not to mention how much that very thought depresses him. At one point, he says he is ATL, which he then explains means all-time low, not Atlanta. Explaining, of course, is one of his tendencies. Having grown up during the digital age, Burnham is like most of his generation, accustomed to living through social media. And so he explains everything he is thinking to those of us presumably watching. Yet his explanations clearly serve a dual purpose. While he shares with us his thoughts about the world and the many issues confronting it, Burnham delivers his concerns with an obvious wink. At one point, for example, he actually uses a sock puppet to run down a Howard Zinn view of American history. A sock puppet. In between well-aimed shots at Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, Burnham tackles our obsession with the internet itself, especially during the past year's lockdown. Welcome to the internet, he sings, where you can access anything and everything all of the time, where, he adds, apathy's a tragedy and boredom is a crime. And while none of this may seem particularly funny, at least in how I'm describing it, it's to Burnham's credit that he makes it so. 
even in his specials occasionally dark moments, in the sequences involving not quite full nudity, the tossing of equipment and apparent frustration, and in his many and varied uses of the F word. Smart people from the beginning of time have spent long periods alone, working out their personal struggles by creating scientific theories, inspiring philosophies, or great art, some all at once. Those who were less emotionally stable tended to go in a different direction. Remember the Unabomber? The pandemic forced much of the world into a year-long seclusion. Bo Burnham Inside is an exploration of how hard the lockdown has been. It's a clever meditation on how one guy with a particular talent for offbeat comedy found a way to survive. How did he do so? By finding a way to laugh in the face of desperation and by inviting us to view his life through a postmodern lens laced with a healthy dose of irony. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Dan Webster. Movies 101 host Dan Webster writes about movies and more for Spokane7.com. You can hear Movies 101 Friday evenings at 6.30 here on KPBX. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenin. We're grateful for the contributions of Timothy Christie and Dan Webster, and send special mention to Walla Walla Chamber Music Festival recording engineer, Jamie Lamar. Taking us out with an arrangement of Henry Mancini's Moon River are Archie Chen and Rona Gouldson Chen, whose complete piano bench performance is available at our website, spokanepublicradio.org. Please join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.